the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, January 6, 2020. I cobbled this together last minute given breaking news. I hope it works. Set aside my usual monologue to do this. In July, Nancy Pelosi was asked about violent rioting in Baltimore. And she replied, people will do what they do. We denounced that sentiment and statement then. Because to tolerate or excuse a riot is to teach that riots are tolerable and excusable. To quote Tom Cotton, in these circumstances, the Insurrection Act authorizes the president to employ the military or any other means in cases of insurrection or obstruction to the laws. The Insurrection Act, a venerable law nearly as old as our republic itself, doesn't amount to martial law or the end of democracy, as some excitable critics, ignorant of both law and our history, have comically suggested, he wrote. The American people aren't blind to injustice in our society, but they know that the most basic responsibility of government is to maintain public order and safety. Close quote. He wrote this in the New York Times over the same summer. Nancy Pelosi responded about riots in the streets. Riot, riots, we were told again and again, that were mostly peaceful. Riots that indeed were not mostly peaceful. The New York Times editorial page imploded over this op-ed with firings and resignations for printing Tom Cotton's sentiment. But Tom Cotton was right then, and he would be right today, as I see what's taking place at the U.S. Capitol. As I say this, News is that the president has deployed the National Guard and he has put out a message to the rioters, go home, go home in peace. Maybe the New York Times can unretract Tom Cotton's op-ed right now. I still take my cues from Abraham Lincoln, who said in 1861, quote, our popular government has often been called an experiment. Two points in it our people have already settled. The successful establishing and the successful administering of it. One still remains. It's successful maintenance against a formidable internal attempt to overthrow it. Ballots are the rightful and peaceful successors of bullets. There can be no successful appeal back to bullets. There can be no successful appeal except to ballots themselves at succeeding elections. Such will be a great lesson of peace, teaching men that what they cannot take by an election, neither can they take it by a war, teaching all the folly of being the beginners of war, close quote. To rehearse something I said about a month ago, how in a, ref in a Republican form of government do we handle a disappointment or loss? We firmly believe the result of unfairness, irregularity, or even fraud. This question is not new, though it is anew with us today. It goes back to our very founding, in fact, and Abraham Lincoln was obsessed with this from his very 
first speech, his Lyceum address, when he was president, asking, is there in all republics this inherent and fatal weakness? Must a government of necessity be too strong for the liberties of its own people or too weak to maintain its own existence? You hear calls of violence every now and again, sometimes from the left, sometimes from the right, usually quoting Thomas Jefferson, who wrote from France in 1787 about the Shays' Rebellion, that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. That is its natural manure. This line horrified George Washington, prompting him to try to create a government strong enough in Philadelphia at the convention to keep this sentiment from running riot, if you will. Riot, good word here. James Madison was onto this too. As he put it in the 51st Federalist paper, a line conservatives don't much love, but it's there and it's important in its context. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the government and then in the next place oblige it to control itself. In A New Birth of Freedom, Professor Harry Jaffa writes this about Jefferson's tree of liberty line. Jefferson's reaction to Shays' rebellion contrasts remarkably with the reactions of Washington, Madison, Hamilton, and other leading founders. For them, that rebellion proved a catalyst for the convention that framed the Constitution of 1787, a document that had no more urgent purpose than to provide security for property against popular passions. Property was being endangered in the states by the people seeking relief from debt, either through the legislature or by mob action. But despite his reaction to Shays' Rebellion, no one was more committed than Jefferson to the security of property under the rule of law, in popular, no less than in other kinds of government. Jefferson always believed that the people are the origin of the just powers of government and that it is by the majority alone that the people can act. But in keeping with his view that an elective despotism was not the government we fought for, Jefferson believed with other founders in the danger of tyranny, majority tyranny. The rights of minorities, meaning the rights of individuals, were no less inviolable by the people than by kings. And he thought that popular governments were subject to corruption, and that resistance to corruption might be manifested in resistance even to popular governments. The right of revolution often confused underlie all the people's rights, and the fear was it might then be manifested either in violent resistance to corrupt or tyrannical governments or in the institution and maintenance of popular governments deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In the 1790s, Jefferson was frequently of two minds as to whether the government instituted as a result of the ratification of the Constitution deserved loyalty as an embodiment of the people's rights or whether it deserved resistance for having usurped powers never given to it by the people. The transformation of the right of revolution into the right of free election began with Jefferson's own party victory in 1800. And we are reminded that Lincoln's first great speech had as its theme in 1838 the particular importance in a popular government for the reverence of law laws. Lincoln stressed the necessity of obeying even bad laws while working for their repeal or reform because disobedience to bad laws engenders a habit of lawlessness that easily can turn into mob rule. And when law cannot protect persons and property, men will turn away from the rule of law to despotism for their security. 
Indeed, Lincoln's understanding in his speech of the dangers of lawlessness for popular government or of their inexorable connection between anarchy and tyranny was substantially the same as the one that animated those who called for the convention of 1787. Now, all that said, I know a lot of questions are here raised, but let's start with a few facts of history, starting with that Thomas Jefferson himself didn't even apply his own standard to himself when he was president. As the great constitutional historian Leonard Levy writes in an entire book about Jefferson's violations of civil liberties, titled Jefferson and Civil Liberties, The Darker Side, Jefferson at one time or another supported loyalty oaths, countenanced internment camps for political suspects, drafted a bill of attainder, urged prosecutions for seditious libel, trampled on the Fourth Amendment, condoned military despotism, used the army to enforce laws in times of peace, censored reading, chose professors for their political opinions, and endorsed the doctrine that the means, however odious, were sometimes justified by the ends. Turns out it's easy to write somewhat irresponsibly from France, I gather, and less so to tolerate what you wrote then when you become president. A little different when you're in your own country trying to maintain its existence or subsistence. For example, we have something called the Insurrection Act here. We do, as Tom Cotton said, and many of us wanted President Trump to use it to put down the riots earlier this year. Guess who signed that Insurrection Act? into law, Thomas Jefferson. He did so after writing to his Secretary of State, James Madison, asking if he could use military troops against a planned insurrection, and Madison said he could not, and thus came the Insurrection Act, which would allow for just that. Now, if I may go back to Professor Jaffa for a moment, if an individual's discontent with a law is shared with a majority or a large minority of his fellow citizens, they may join together to resist it or to have the law repealed or declared unconstitutional in the courts. The best example in our own time of how these processes are related to each other is provided by the civil rights movement that culminated in the Civil Rights Acts 1964 and laughter. Here, civil disobedience, court action, political action, and finally legislative action all conspired to produce an outcome that in all likelihood would not have come to pass with it without the energy of all of them. Those same elements in different proportions have been present in all the great political movements and controversies in our country and history, including anti-slavery, temperance, women's suffrage, and even abortion. To repeat what I said earlier, I know there still remain a lot of questions But one of the problems with violence against America is it will always be violence against fellow Americans. And it will not be successful. It will be bloody and it will fail if it is unrestrained. It is also inconsonant with everyone who want to revivify and study from Washington to Lincoln. As the old man put it, there is no grievance that is a fit object of redress by mob law. Oh, sure, Antifa thinks there is. And BLM thinks there is, and one would have liked to have heard the denunciations of them from those who denounce today, but denounce today is right. It's just that we shouldn't think that there is an object of redress by mob law, not us. We build pillars hewn from the solid quarry of reason, sober reason here. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 508 
six zero was bill welcome back my producer bill was it you who said to me earlier uh who thought 2021 honestly was going to be better than 2020 was that you <laughs> not uh yeah well uh inauspicious start i will say to put it no higher um I'll go through what my original monologue was going to be a little bit later in the show. Maybe I'll open the second hour with it. But one of the things that uh, we have to report, obviously, is that it looks now like in both Senate races in Georgia have been called for the Democrats, uh, Ossoff and and Raphael Warnock are the the victors to Democratic – the two Democratic uh, Party Senate candidates in Georgia won – against Purdue and Leffler, before that was called, that is to say before the Ossoff race was called, Bill Hemmer this morning on Fox News said something simply about the one loss in Georgia and the closeness, the the Leffler loss in Georgia and the closeness of the Ossoff race, the Purdue-Ossoff race. He said, it feels like something significant has changed in America today. He said that before, as I said, Ossoff prevailed over Purdue. And that's what I kind of wanted to talk about. Who knew how much more right he would be, given the day's ongoing events, and as we try and digest them specifically what happened at the Capitol today, where it looks like, given a breach of the Capitol, the harm to life, thank goodness, was quite uh, quite smaller than it could have than it could have than it than it otherwise might have been. Looks like one person critically injured, one woman critically injured, and we'll update as we know more. Could have been a much much worse situation. Much worse. But Joe Biden gave a talk calling on the protesters and rioters to go home. At the same time, Donald Trump was taping one to be released on Twitter, which he did. And you got to hand it to Twitter for staying true to form. It's really quite incredible. The gift of being itself, I suppose, on Donald Trump's message calling for uh, the protesters and rioters to go home and be peaceful. They they attached a, a notice at the bottom of it because he also talked about the election fraud. And they wrote, the claim of election fraud is disputed and the tweet can't be replied to, retweeted or liked due to a risk of violence. So. In his essential call for peace, where he said, go home, go home in peace, at the end of his message, short message, Twitter, which is where he released it on Twitter, Twitter won't allow it to be retweeted or liked due to, as they say, a risk of violence. Um, This is so impossibly Orwellian, it's hard it, it's it's hard to describe. It's just simply so very hard to describe. I don't know. I don't know what the next two weeks will hold 
as far as the analysis of the Trump administration or the Republican Party or the conservative movement. It's what I wanted to do my monologue on. Again, I'll give it maybe in the second hour, the original one that I wrote for today. But the most unfortunate of things here with the riots, rioters, let's just call them what they were, the rioters who breached the Capitol today, is that if indeed they were supporters of Trump or in any way, shape or form, part and parcel of supporting the conservative movement of the Republican Party, they failed to understand a lot, a lot, what conservatives are, what the Republican Party is and stands for and has said. They're acting in consonance with what Nancy Pelosi said, people will do what people do, or what Cuomo said on CNN that the rioters aren't to blame for the riots over the summer. It's the conditions that led to them. Nonsense, ridiculous, absurd, stupid. That's what the left believes. It's not what we believe. It's not what we hold for, as I said in my opening, to tolerate a riot is to teach that riots are tolerable. To justify a riot is to teach that riots are justifiable. They're not. But if these people were supportive of the president in any way, they failed to understand the very purpose of protest in the first place. There's not a single protest that takes place, legit, you know, for a good cause or not, in the eye of the beholder. There's not a single protest that takes place that has as many people attending it as would like to. I don't care where it is. How many protests have there been, Bill, that you and I would have liked to have attended, but for whatever reason we couldn't, geographically, another state, work, whatever. So you rely on the people there. It's another form of representative democracy, if you will. Protest is a right under the First Amendment, the right to assemble. It's another part of representative democracy that they represent us. There are a lot of people who support the president and their support of the president should not be tarnished, but because of the way the world works, will be because of the actions of the people who breached the state, uh, the uh, U.S. Capitol today. It's a lot of shame to go around, a lot, and it certainly isn't the way we wanted to open the first week of 2021. We'll have more, and we'll take your calls. Anything you want, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, our culture and economy segment with John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, Grand Canyon planning.com a lot on the culture front today john um that um moved into the political front which answered a question you and i had been discussing for some weeks now which is what the um what the results of the georgia senate elections will mean for our economy 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we now have those results. Yeah. Uh, quite quite surprising to me, but we have them, and uh, they have gone to make for a Democratic uh, majority U.S. Yeah. Senate. You know, Seth, um, you know, it's interesting you watch what's happening in Washington, yeah. D.C. right now, and we, we are seeing it in real time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting uh, just trying to how we, we communicate today. Yep. It, it's kind of interesting. Yep. But if you think about um, this is back uh, on this day, January 6th, in 1838, Samuel Morse, mm. the telegraph mm. system mm. was created mm. the first time it was used. And uh, to think of how far we've come yeah. and what positive things come out of this, but also some negative things. Sure. Come, and you when know. you think about even in not your own mind, but certainly plenty of people we know's lifetimes, the last time the Capitol was breached by Puerto Rican ter- terrorists mm-hmm. in the 1950s, yeah. right? Yeah. And how that would have been reported, certainly not certainly like this. Certainly different. Yeah. That's right. right. Um, but, you know, one of the questions that I had been receiving from a lot of my clients, Seth, is what's going to happen, you know, if this, uh, if, first of all, if Joe Biden wins the presidency, right. but then what's going to happen now yeah. with the runoff? Yeah. What is that going to mean for the markets? Right. And I just have to take emotion out of everything when it comes to investing. Uh, You know, that's my job. Mm -hmm. My clients can be emotional. It's their money. And and how can you not be emotional about your money? Of course. Um, So but my job is just to be, you know, uh, impartial to what what the 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 emotional side of it and really look at what's going on in the world, in the economy. Uh, right here at home as well, as well as around the world, uh, and then to make educated decisions uh, with a purpose uh, for each client based on their own individual financial needs. And that's what we do here at our firm, Grand Canyon Planning. And, and yeah, these, there's going to be some difficult times ahead of us. There's no question about it when it comes to investing and how you should be investing, where you should be investing, how much should you be uh, investing. And, and so people are going to be nervous about this. I don't want them to feel so nervous that what they do is withdraw. Right. This is not the right. time to withdraw. This is the time to work closely with your advisor if you have one. If you don't, please call me. Uh, and let's really map out a, a, a good strategy for you to make sure that you could feel comfortable and confident that you're invested properly for the times. Yeah, I think the idea here is steady strain with a growth orientation, mm-hmm. right, yeah. with a goal of growth. Um, because, you know, gosh knows if all it took to disrupt markets or someone's tomorrow or someone's retirement years was a bad day or a bad week or gosh knows, John, given last year a bad year, yeah. uh, you know, there would be an awfully big incentive to see a lot more of that. And, 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 and we can't um, we can't really look at the long haul that way. And, and we're I a think, nation of fighters. So. Yeah, I think okay. so. And yeah, so, I think uh, so. I don't underestimate yeah. uh, the country, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. And let's let's but let's uh, invest with a purpose. Harder, but fine. It's yeah. gonna be harder. It's gonna be harder. <laughs> let's, let's no right, question there's about no it. question. It's harder. We just right? walked, walked down right. the hall here and yeah. said, "Okay, well, we're just gonna yeah. have to work harder." Yeah. That's that yeah. was it. That right. was the, that was the comment we right. just made with yeah. one of my cohorts here. Exactly. I'm sure. uh, and we will. Yeah. And that's what you know. We're gonna certainly do. We're gonna we're gonna be fighting for our clients and trying to do the best we can to get them the best returns and and invest properly for their specific needs. It is interesting today. The markets didn't do much of a signal, yeah. did they? Right. No, I mean, no. a little bit up yeah we had a mixed mixed market yeah. today we had the dow which did very well today yeah. it was up substantially we had the s p up reasonable but the nasdaq was down slightly and again it, it it's kind of going uh against maybe what we would think but again we have to look at where the companies are cu- currently situated and investors are very smart wall street's pretty smart 
uh, stocks get priced in based on what's happening and what the future will bring. Mm-hmm. So apparently investors uh, in the markets, the big boys on Wall Street and the big girls on Wall Street, let me let me clarify that, uh, are you know looking as if uh, the markets are still going to be fine. Now, policies can change over time, Seth, and things can change. But for the moment, the expectation is 2021 is still going to be uh, a good year for the markets. Nicely put, John. Nicely bet. put. Folks want to get in touch with me if they're concerned about things, want to talk about their portfolio, securities and advisory ser- services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FinRen Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC. are not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. They can get in touch with me there. Thanks, John Dombrowski. Thank you, Seth. You bet, John. All right, have a good show. You bet. Thanks. And if you want to call in here, we are at 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Sam is in Scottsdale. Hello, Sam. Hey, Seth. Uh, touching base with you, a uh, couple things. You know, they're talking about, you had mentioned, uh, Scott had mentioned about Wall Street, what's going on in the stock market. And, you know, I think all the big players just think it's everything's fine. But uh, I'm a small businessman, and I'll tell you something. What I feel right now and the way I felt four years ago are absolute polar opposites. Four years ago as a small businessman, I was ecstatic. I knew things would change for us. And my business and obviously many businesses around the United States took off like a lightning bolt from what had been, you know, kind of a a roller coaster eight years within months, my business was, was just absolutely exploding. And from the small business perspective, uh, I would say most, most of people that I know, small businesses are not happy, are worried and wondering what the heck is going to go on. You know, we um, we had a couple uh, uh, a couple of guests on this, given the potential of Georgia going um, going south or going to the Democratic Party, I should say, the Senate going to the Democratic Party, talking about the harms it would do all kinds of business, large to small, because if you take the Democrats uh, at their word and what they campaigned on, which goes from everything to increasing. Uh, to repealing the Trump tax cuts, to increasing the corporate tax. You know, their their level of increasing the corporate tax make would make us less competitive than China. It would be higher than the tax in China. And, of course, yes, what it would do to small businesses, especially those that uh, pay taxes through, uh, you know, what's understood and what's, what's known as pass-through. Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk right. about that. So yeah, the, in in just but one brief moment, the um, the entirety of the economy is changing because of politics. Um, you know, sometimes you think about, or I think about, um, whether we should actually just. I, I say this show is about politics and culture, and I sometimes wonder I should call it politics, economy, and culture. But the truth is, the relationship of what politics can do to the culture and the economy is 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 damning. And I get what you say. It's an odd thing that we go out of 2020 after such four years of a great economy with this perspective. This this is this is a really hard pill to swallow, a very bitter pill to swallow, because I think it's going to truly get worse 
uh, the economy before it gets better on a lot of fronts, particularly for small businesses. I think for uh, Arizona, uh, given the proposition that we passed uh, having to do uh, with tax, uh, with uh, raising taxes in Arizona on on incomes. And um, I, I just think the entire environment of trade and commerce is going to be made tougher. Um, I I don't know how many people you employ, but I think what Democrats too often forget, Sam, is when they talk about taxing employers, um, that is the first way to make it hard on employees. I I just think they don't understand that we're really kind of one people here. Well, it's also, it's kind of a, you know, uh, I hate to say it like a metaphysical, but it's an emotional thing for small businesses. We felt so comfortable, solid on our feet. We were ready. We had eight years of pent-up BS, for lack of a better term. Yeah, sure. And we had a man in the White House, and it was pent-up, and it took off like a rocket. And, I mean, businesses, my business, you know, everybody I knew, small business people, they just were absolutely ecstatic, and they were running. They were running before, you know, almost before, you know, the wheel began to turn. Mm-hmm. They were sprinting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because they knew they could, you know, all of a sudden you you knew that somebody was had your back and was behind. And it was, as I said, it was it was palpable. It was everywhere I went. You know, I call on businesses. I talk to small business. I work with I work with uh, uh, industrial real estate. So I I work with factories and people coming to Arizona from different parts of the world, different parts of the country. And it was just it was on fire. And today. We just don't feel that. Yeah, you we feel like a wet blanket has been thrown on that fire or something stronger than a wet blanket. What's the analogy? A fire hose has been put on that on that fire. And what's yeah. interesting about, you know, you, what you just said in response to what I said, your, your second co- set of comments here, Sam, is how many Republicans running for office have you heard talk like that, like the way you said? Well, Donald Trump did. Donald Trump did. And he did particularly so in 2016. Um, And, you know, a few here and there did. But how many of them seem so darned afraid to talk about this or just unwilling to or for some reason inept at it? They don't do that that much. I'm trying. You know, I struggle to think of a few that a handful that that speak the way you do. I can give you Republicans talk great on social issues, international issues, defense issues and the like. Uh, but I haven't heard a lot of them speak the way you just did. Uh, you know, one goes back to memory. That's the kind of talk you would get from Jack Kemp. Uh, Ronald Reagan was pretty good at it, obviously. Um, I, as I said before, uh, uh, Donald Trump. But do you have it? Do you know of Republicans you saw either here or running or running nationally that spoke like that? I, I, it, I'm struggling right now. Well, Maybe I, I'm just tired. You know, and I can't I, think. I've right. met with David Schweiker. Yes, David I does. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. And uh, I help him during his campaigns. Yep. Yep. Years. David and, is uh, very committed to this issue. That's talks, a fair one. But he talks. I mean, he's very personable. He's mm-hmm. very approachable. And he talks. He looks at you and he says, "I want to know." Yeah. I mean, I, what's going on in small yep. business? What do you see? What businesses are coming here? I mean, look. Here's here's the bottom line, and this this sums up Trump, you know, to a T, as far as I'm concerned. If you had told me six or seven years ago that we'd be building automobiles, and this is my business, Arizona and industrial real estate is my business. Okay. If we were building automobiles in the state of Arizona, I think you're nuts. Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. It would never ever happen. Right. We are building automobiles in the state of Arizona. And Donald Trump, it's that vision, it's that energy, it's that enthusiasm, it's that can-do attitude that took us to a whole new level, uh, especially here in 
Arizona. We, you know, we've, we've brought companies back. We're bringing manufacturing companies back. I don't know how long they'll yeah. stay now, yeah. but boy, we had great momentum. So there's something I kind of want to say. Yeah, Sam, you're right. And there's some I want to say, and I don't I don't quite have it right. But um, to seize that memory that you have of the past four years, um, the dynamism of the economy that we didn't even think possible. Right. We didn't even think it could be that good um, as good as it was. Right. Um, Compared to what we're going to see going forward with Democratic high-tax, anti-business policies. What I want to say is it will be a reminder to people as to the reversibility, the fragility of our economy. It can go south. There's no magic reason that it goes up. It takes good, hard policy to make it go up in the right direction to grow. And it'll be our task when it doesn't to remind them that it doesn't have to be this way. The problem is the cost. The problem is the cost along the way. I have to take a quick break, Sam. You're welcome to have another comment on the other side of this if you want. And my other callers, sure. um, it's your show here on out. So stay on hold. We'll get to you. I promise. Uh, thanks, Sam. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Your your show uh all the way out uh all the way through 6025080960. Sam in Scottsdale was talking to us about the economy. Sam, I don't know if the point I made made sense. My my point is, you know, one of our tasks will be you know, you can remind people, we're going to have to remind people that the economy I'm assuming in 2 years it's not going to be as strong and robust as it has been the past 4 that it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, we're going to have an experiment in socialism now where we, 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 we prove what we've been saying with the actual. People didn't listen. Now they'll live it. I, that, that's my point, I guess. Well, I think, At a great uh, cost. No, At I, a great I, cost. I, Don't I, get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not blithe about the, the situation. Yeah, I think, I think here we are from, from a small business point of view. We have to live with two, you know, you know, two thoughts, you know, fear and doubt. Yeah. Right now we don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right now you know planning to go forward i don't know i don't know what's going to happen to this market i don't know what's going to happen to the flow of business well today. that's a really good point because we're told money is a coward and had it been a convincing republican win in donald trump victory your planning would have been more uh, you would have had a better idea of what you were going to do this year right you would have Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. one, other, one other thing I want to talk about as far as the, the fraud is concerned. Yes, sir. And I was talking with a friend of mine today. You know, if, I'm, if, if you and I each have 10 grand mm-hmm. and we're in a card game mm-hmm. and I'm cheating and you're not, your 10 grand is going to end up in my pocket. Now, you might have, you know, the moral high ground, but I'm going to have your money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, when you're playing with cheaters, and this is going to sound really strange on the radio, but you know how you beat a cheater? You cheat. <laughs> Well, that's one way. I was going to say. I was going to say you shine a light and arrest them. You. No, but I'm just saying if you can't, you can't arrest them, and you can't, you know, you can't stop it. That's the only way you're going to keep your money in your pocket. Well, I think. I think. I think. Well, I. I just. I just think this. I. I think this. I think. Sam, I think that for years and years and years, Republicans are playing catch up to the wiles of the Democratic Party and Democratic Party antics and Democratic Party strategies. And it seems 
we're always playing catch up to them and we're learning the way they play and we're playing Marcus Queensberry rules and they're playing um the, you know they're they're playing with no rules they're playing by by no rule and and it's worth watching if you haven't Ted Cruz's statement today in the Senate about what needs to be investigated and why and you know if the democrats are so um positive that everything was so up and up why are they so afraid of looking under the hood it's a good question it's a really good one 6025080960 be right back 